Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. We began yesterday looking at Ligonier Ministries' 2018 survey, which measured the theological temperature of America. You can find this survey at TheStateOfTheology.com. And it provided 34 statements uh, to 3,000 Americans who could either strongly disagree, somewhat disagree, unsure, somewhat agree, or strongly agree. And so we're just looking at how those who identify as evangelicals are answering these questions. Now, what's startling about some of these statements is the contrast between how those surveyed answer one question compared to another. So. Today we're looking at question number or statement number 13 and statement number 6. Here's what statement number 13 says. God counts a person as righteous not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. Now, 91% of evangelicals said that they agree with that. That's encouraging. Um, that upholds the doctrine of justification by faith alone, that, that Jesus' righteousness is imputed to the believer when he believes, and, and the believer's sin is imputed to Christ. So that's wonderful. 91% of evangelicals said they agree with that. Now, here's the problem. Statement number six says this, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now, 78% of evangelicals agree. Oh. Um, how, how do we make sense of that? <laughs> that one's going to keep me awake at night. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, Arianism. Uh, for those that recognize it, it's, it's an ancient heresy. The idea that Jesus is a created being. And it was taught by a renegade a bishop named Arius and in the early centuries of, of, the, of the church, and it was rejected, uh, absolutely rejected uh, by the Council of Nicaea, who, based on Scripture, uh, said, no, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. So to, to treat Jesus as a created being, no matter how great, is to reduce Jesus and to say that God sent, it's to say that God sent an agent, God sent a servant to save us mm -hmm. instead of God becoming flesh himself to save us. Well, this is, this is where, you know, the creeds and catechisms of the church are really helpful to us. When we begin to learn those things, we, we have categories to put this in. We don't make categorical error between, um, you know, understanding the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and then thinking that Jesus is a creature. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism uh, is asking um, the question how we make satisfaction um, before God. It's, 
Question 14, can there be found any where one who is a mere creature able to satisfy for us? None. For first, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man has committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin so as to deliver us from it. What sort of mediator and deliverer then must we seek for? For one who is very man and perfectly righteous and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also very God. Mm-hmm. This is where um, I think we, we tend to have a, a chronological snobbery that, that what we end up doing is cutting off our arms and legs. Um, the church has beautifully dealt with some of these errors in the past. And what we, we've done is we've forgotten those. Um, so our creeds are not just random. They came largely in response to error. So the Nicene Creed, the Athanasius Creed, are responding specifically to attacks on the Trinity, on the, the person and work of Jesus Christ, on his nature, um, on his divinity. Mm-hmm. And their responses to that, beautiful, um, the Council of Chalcedon, I mean, beautiful um, statement of uh, on Christology. Um, and interestingly enough, Ligonier Ministries, who were talking about this survey, um, believes that, in essence, we've gotten this so wrong again that it was necessary to publish again another statement defining the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so they published, I think it was a year or two ago, um, their statement on on Christology, mm-hmm. um, which reveals how much we've forgotten our history. That what we do is we, we just repackage error over and over again, and largely because we're ignorant of the errors of the past, and so then we just simply repeat them in a, a new, you know, design. But it's really the same heart of denying who Jesus is. And much to our, I mean, it's, it's to our shame that we don't know history better. I liked how you picked up on the words chronological snobbery. Uh, you know, we, we kind of beat up uh, C.S. Lewis a little bit the other day for an error that he held. Um, but uh, he was the one that came up with these words of uh, chronological snobbery. We don't look to the past. We are not benefiting and standing on the shoulders of these men who have worked through these truths over and over again. I wonder if if you guys would be willing to just um, maybe flesh this out as far as from Colossians 1, because I'm wondering if this is where some of the the mistake comes from. Yeah. Um, The verse is is verse um, 17. He, talking about Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 15. Yeah, my old eyes can't pick that number up. (laughs) So I was guessing. And then it goes on to say, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what if somebody comes to this passage and say, see, he's the first, God created him, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. Jesus then went on to create all things. He's before everything else, right? but he himself was the firstborn. So how would you respond to them that come to this passage and say, see, I answered that question correctly? 
Sure. And sure. That's why Ari, Ari struggled with this passage. And, well, and, and Arius struggled with this passage, mm-hmm. and this was one of his favorites. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I quoted earlier from from First John, and we could go to not First John. I'm sorry, from John's Gospel, the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, full of grace and truth. There's plenty of other scripture we can go to, but when Colossians talks about firstborn and the the, the, the Council of Nicaea wrestled with that, uh, and they said that Jesus, the, the relationship of the Father to the Son, is that Jesus is eternally begotten of the Father. Right. That. The father begets the son, but he doesn't have a beginning. It's an eternal relationship of begetting between the father and the son, of, of, of begetting and then the son responding in love to the father for eternity. And uh, the, uh, the council rejected the idea uh, based on a broad foundation of Scripture. The council rejected the idea because of a, because of a misinterpretation of this one text that Arius uh, was guilty of that somehow Jesus had a beginning and is a created being. The the council rejected that completely. Yeah. And and you also have to understand how language was being used uh, during this period of time. You know, uh, this is written to us in Greek, um, but Paul's reflecting on Old Testament concepts when. When Paul's not saying that the son was the first created being, but he's also what he's saying is that the firstborn is the principal heir of this the estate. Uh, there's a preeminence there, and when it's used of Christ, the term firstborn ascribes to him supremacy, honor, and dignity. He, you know, he he's the principal heir of all things. He's you know he's he's from eternity to eternity. He he's been God, and there was never a time when he wasn't God. And so, mm-hmm. but but he is the heir of everything that God has. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's how the Bible uses that term. I mean, if you go back to Psalm 89, it's a psalm that celebrates the steadfast love of God. And in verse three, he says, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. So the psalm is basically kind of unpacking the Davidic covenant. And then when he gets to verse 28, so he's talking about David, my steadfast love I will keep for him forever and my covenant will stand firm. I will establish him forever. Um, I will make him the firstborn. Well, David wasn't the firstborn. David was like the run to the litter. He was like right. child number eight, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet when he was anointed king, he was treated as the firstborn because right. that's that's the rights of the firstborn. Right. The rights of the firstborn right. gets the inheritance. Right. And so, and that's actually, if you look contextually, that's actually what Paul's saying in Colossians. In verse um, 18, speaking of Jesus still, he says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might ha- be preeminent. Yeah, exactly. And that's very clear. The, the, even if you didn't have the background text, mm-hmm. the, the context itself defines what firstborn means. Right, right. It's, it's about his status. It's, it's about his identity. It's not about biology. And if you begin to not even unpack this from the verses that have been mentioned, but if you begin to look at it from a logical perspective, um, yesterday we talked about that 98% of the people said that there is one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If we begin to to believe and, and confess what Arius said, that um, Jesus Christ was created, what we're saying is that God can create God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even logically, if we say that 
there's a triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then begin to to fudge on, well, Jesus was the first creation. You you have a creator creature distinction, but if Jesus was created, but is also God, you've broken down the creator creature distinction, and in essence, you in almost to be consistent, then have to embrace Mormonism. Yeah, mm-hmm. that we we also then can become gods. Mm-hmm. If Jesus could be a created being and become a God, then we can be a created being and become a God. Mm-hmm. It, it's a it's a, a slippery slope that you do not want to begin down. Right. Yeah. right. Well, I love that question that you answered, uh, Jonathan from the Heidelberg. Uh, we're comparing these two statements. Remember statement number one said that God counts a person as righteous not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. 91% of evangelicals said they agreed. That seems so encouraging. But then statement six, Jesus is the first and created being created by God. Well. 78% of evangelicals agree. Here's the problem. A created savior cannot save you. Uh, uh, God, Jesus Christ has to be man because he has to actually substitute for our sins, for the sins of man. And he has to be God so that he can actually give that price. He can propitiate the wrath of God and not be annihilated. It's because he rose from the dead, because he was innocent, being the God-man, that any of us even have a hope of redemption. Yeah. Right. Uh, that Heidelberg goes on to say, why must he also be true God? So that by the power of his divinity, he might bear in his humanity the weight of God's wrath and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. Mm. And, and by the way, I just have to throw in here, seeing as how we're getting close to Christmas time, that the story is told of the Council of Nicaea that uh, the original St. Nicholas, who was the, the, <laughs> the, the actual man, St. Nicholas, not Santa, but, uh, but Nicholas uh, was a bishop, uh, that he walked across the room at the Council of Nicaea and punched Arius in the mouth. Yeah, which, <laughs> that's my which, Santa. Which, that's my Santa. Yeah, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't a very Christian thing to do, but it was probably very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this has been a Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time. 